Let me read to you Acts 14, 1 through 7. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling Paul and Barnabas to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both uh, Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat Paul and Barnabas and stone them. But the brothers found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe, to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So what we have here in Acts 14 is God making a bold move, okay? God, this next counter move of God is a strong one. And it opens with Paul and Barnabas preaching again in the synagogue, just like last week. But this time, the, the, the crop, the yield is much higher because it's, or Luke writes that a great number of Jews and Greeks come to Christ. So this is a strong move on God's part. He is taking it up one notch here, and Satan counters, okay? Satan We all know where he's from, right? He comes out hot as well, okay? That's a pun intended here. Satan comes out hot, and what he does is he stirs up a new group of people. And this group of people, they're a bit more militant than the group we read about in Acts 13. These guys come out kind of like the Cobra Kai students in the original Karate Kid. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy, sir. They, I mean, literally, they're like cobras. They bare their fangs, and they lash out at Paul and Barnabas which leads to a very strange reaction on the part of these two because it says they extend their stay and they keep on preaching boldly for Christ. And I want to know who in the world does that in light of what's going on, what's against them. You know, who looks up and says, hey, this is awesome. Everybody hates us. Let's stick around and do a crusade for six months. I mean, we just don't see this anywhere. And yet, as they step up for God, okay? And this is, this is a bold move to stay planted and keep at it. As they step up, somebody else steps up. God steps up. And God provides supernatural evidence that this word is true. Miracles, signs, and wonders. So in other words, what God does is God rises right up behind his messenger. God rises right up behind his message and, and what, he, what he's doing here is so that these believers can not only hear the Word of God, they can see it. They can look and say, oh my gosh, they just said it, and now we see it. So whether Paul was speaking about healing, you know our God is a healer, in Jesus' name, get up and be healed. That's exactly what happens here. And it's an astounding moment in the Word of God. And then we get to verse 4. Verse 4 is now, after these signs of wonders, after this declaration of Christ, verse 4 is where we can see that the gospel hits with full impact, okay? You talk about the thud of Jesus Christ. It happens right here in verse 4, and there's one word in verse 4 that gives it away. And the word is division. Suddenly, the people in this moment, they are divided. 
Some people go with Paul and Barnabas, man, we're with you. Absolutely, we're all over your message. Others go against Christ. They go away from Christ, and we have two different camps. And folks, this is what happens when Jesus Christ reveals himself, okay? When the Spirit of God, Christ comes in his fullness, this is exactly what happens every time. Jesus talks about this. In Matthew 10, 34, he, he says these words that trouble us sometime, but in context, it makes sense now. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to the earth to bring peace. I have not come to bring peace, but I have come to bring a sword. And what he's saying here is, look, when I make myself known, it is decision time. When I come in my fullness, there is no neutral zone to stand in. You go one way or you go other in that day. And so here some come running to Christ, others go running away from Christ. And this goes back to what we read in Scripture. You know, we see it before this in Isaiah. We see it later on in 1 Peter chapter 9. Um, and, and that Jesus Christ is either a foundation stone for us. When we come across him, he is either the foundation stone or he's a loose rock in the way. Listen to this. Isaiah 28, 16. God is speaking. See, I lay in Zion a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be shaken. And then on the other hand, 1 Peter 9, 33, see, I lay in Zion a rock that makes them stumble and fall. And the point is this. Here we are traveling down life's highway. Suddenly, perhaps unexpectedly, maybe it's all very natural, but one way or the other, we run into Jesus Christ. And in that moment, when we see him, for us, we recognize him, we accept him, we declare, my Lord and my God, Jesus, you are my foundation stone. You're my cornerstone. I'm going to build my whole life on you. That happens to some. But for others, walking down the road, coming across Christ, it's a different story. We see him. We recognize him. We realize who he, am, who he, who he is. Who he am. That's a good word. I told him that. Uh, use later. Note to self. We realize who he is, right? And we reject him. And so in that moment, it's like you're walking down life's highway and, and you step on, anybody ever stepped on a loose rock? Twist your ankle, what do you do? Dag on rock, you pick it up, throw it into the woods, you curse it and walk the other way. That's precisely what happens here in Acts chapter 14. Some come to the light. Others go to the dark side. Two clear sides now. And so in verses five and six, Satan now kicks it up another notch, and he prompts the people who have rejected Christ to move from malice, right, annoyance, to violence, or, to, or, or very nearly to violence. They turn into a lynch mob. They decide that they're going to drag Paul and Barnabas off, and they are going to stone them to death. And so God tips them off. They hustle it out of there to another city, and then what do they do when they get to the other city? They start preaching boldly for Christ all over again. These two, I mean, they are a broken record. This is what they do. They'll do it everywhere they go. And then we come to the body of 8 through 20, where we have an astounding chain of events, and it's all tied to this same chess match. Paul and Barnabas are preaching as usual, right, just preaching away about the glory of Christ, and suddenly in the middle of his message, the Holy Spirit nudges Paul, and he draws his attention to a man who is listening intently. 
And the Holy Spirit says to Paul, that man right there, his heart is wide open to God. He has, he, he has healing faith right now. He just believes that God can restore his legs. And we've gotten to know Paul a little bit now. We know what Paul is going to do. Paul goes ahead and does it. He calls the man out. He says, stand on your feet. And Luke writes not that the guy rose to his feet in a dignified fashion. Luke says, he jumped to his feet. He jumped to his feet. He began walking around. And the crowd at this moment, they are mind-blown. Why? Because these are small villages, right? Everybody's seen this guy before. Everybody knows who he is. So they they are shell-shocked. And they proclaim these street preachers, they are the gods in disguise, okay? Now, here I could really be mean and, you know, pick on them for having a pagan mindset and all this other stuff. But we say, what's going on with these guys? How dare they pervert the gospel like this? Why would they say such a thing? Here's why they would say such a thing. They are lost. They are unchurched. They have no knowledge of God. They live in a Greek culture. What have they grown up hearing about their whole life? What is their frame of reference? The gods, Hermes, Zeus, Apollo. These people literally don't know any better, so they speak the one thing they know. And then a comical scene kind of unfolds here as as their local priest then brings over wreaths and puts it down before Paul and Barnabas, and he goes and gets a bull, probably with some help, brings the bull over, and, you know, he's intending to sacrifice And so Paul and Barnabas now are in a very uncomfortable situation, all of this kindness, all of this response, but they've got to straighten this mess out. And so Paul does. He says, friends, why are you doing this? We are human just like you. And then Paul goes on now to preach them a sermon, but it's a very different sermon than what we're used to with Paul. You know, Paul in the synagogue over these last couple of weeks, what does he preach? Old Testament law, redemption history, you know, God pursuing you as your redeemer. Well, boy, you talk about a message that's going to be lost on this audience. They don't have any of this grounding. So Paul preaches what they know. He preaches about the world around them, what they see every day. Paul goes on to tell them, here's who's behind the world that you live in and you enjoy. Acts 14, 15 through 17. Friends, we're bringing you good news telling you to turn from worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, in the past, He let all nations go their own way, yet He has not left Himself without a testimony or a witness. He has shown kindness to you Greeks by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food. He fills your hearts with joy. He simply points to God as their creator, their sustainer. You enjoy that full belly. He's where it all comes from. But even after doing all of this, Paul and Barnabas still have a hard time keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them, you know? So you you want a visual picture. You know what the crowd's like? They're like Ewoks from Return of the Jedi with C-3PO. Oh, oh, they just can't snap out of it. They just don't have enough yet to snap out of it. But right then, at this moment, coming into town is another crowd of people. And it's that angry group of Jews, Luke says, from Iconium and from Antioch. So these two persecuting forces have met, 
And they've said, we're going to find these guys. And they show up in town, and they are on a manhunt for Paul and Barnabas. And as they go into the city gates, they see him. They see Paul giving this explanation, and they whip up whoever they can in the crowd, and now they turn into a lynch mob. This is a lynch mob for real. This is a full-scale riot. And they drag Paul out of the city. Don't know where Barnabas is in the moment, but they drag him out. They stone him, and they leave him for dead. And for a moment, it looks like this thing is over. You talk about game, set, and match. I know I was talking about chess and there's tennis, but you talk about game, set, and match. It looks like Satan has has won the day. Until in verse 20, it says a group of disciples, some of the disciples, so there are some believers around, they gather around Paul, and Paul suddenly gets up and he walks right back into the city. That's incredible. Now, let me tell you this. I've, I've had a disappointing week uh, with, uh, with biblical scholarship. Most commentators at this point, okay, these are people who write notes for pastors and uh, professors. Most commentators say, you know what? This doesn't mean something supernatural happened. You know, Paul was probably dazed. Um, you know, probably, Paul was probably out. But, you know, it's like he got taken down, but he got back up and went back in the ring. Folks, from the context of Scripture, Paul was left for dead. Paul is either very close to death or he is, he is on his way. Folks, this is a case of a miracle. Those believers gather around Paul. They pray for him. God raises him back up, and he gets back in there. It's a beautiful moment. And then we end with verses 21 through 28, where Paul and Barnabas leave now for Derby. They preach the gospel, and they win a large number of disciples. But now it's time for the journey home. The first missionary journey is over. Paul and Barnabas make their way back to Antioch. They first stop at the cities that they visited. They encourage leaderships. They encourage the, uh, the church. They do whatever they need to do to get the church established in the places that they were missionaries. They appoint some elders. And then finally, the mission ends back in Antioch with Paul and Barnabas telling the story of how God did open a door of faith to the Gentiles. And the chapter ends with, and they stayed a long time with the disciples. There is so much in Acts chapter 14, it just makes you dizzy. It makes your head swim. I mean, you talk about the, the, the moves of God, the counter moves of Satan, the futile attempts of the enemy, God checking him at every turn. We could talk about that for a long, 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 long time. But here's what I want to focus on. I want to take a good look at Paul and Barnabas for just a second. Look at their role in all of this. To begin with, Paul and Barnabas are called to proclaim Christ to a hurting world, right? We've seen that all the way through. And so that's what they do. They preach, they pray, they plant churches, they raise up leaders. And for them, there are some real Sesame Street fans there are some real sunny days in ministry, right? Sunny days. They have some good times in ministry. The message flows. People get saved. God raises up leadership. God is good. God is close. God is big. They go to bed satisfied at the end of the day. It's what they signed up for. But then we have places like chapter 14 where there are some really dark days in ministry here. They're persecuted. They're imprisoned. They're maligned. They're stoned, they're left for dead, it is scary, 
The world is crazy. People are out of control. The forecast is bleak. Ain't nobody got time for any of that. What is going on here? Why do these two keep at it? That's my question today. Why Paul and Barnabas? You know, a couple of rocks to the head. You know what? You've done your striped spiritual disability. Go enjoy your retirement. You've done enough. Why do they keep going? Why do they take blows like this for Christ and then get back up and go right back into the ring? What is inside of these two? Some people might say, what is wrong with these two? But what's inside of them? What motivates them and fuels them to just minister like this in a war zone? It's the love of God. It's our vision statement. It is passion for God and compassion for people. It's what God is calling this church to be, to be about, to live, to do in the midst of, whoa, everything that's going on right now. And speaking of everything that's going on right now, I know people say the world has changed. I am telling you, it has not changed that much. When I read Acts chapter 14 and I look at our headlines today, I'm not even talking about the financial stuff that makes us nervous, right? Or the political campaign, which, man, that's just wild right now. But, but look at our headlines today. Are we a world that is out of control or are we not? You know, it used to be when it came to terrorism, you know, every month, Every couple of weeks, you'd hear about something. We'd pray. You know, we'd put up the banner of, of, uh, of France up on, on, you know. You can't throw flags up on your, book, on your Facebook page fast enough to account for the terrorism that's going on. It's not a monthly headline. It is a daily headline. Terrorism. Man, it's everywhere, worldwide. And then we look at the nation. Nationally, in the United States of America, Folks, racial tensions are at a 50-year high. I mean, man, it is as tense racially as it was back in the time of civil rights. And here's the point. I agree with Neil. The government ain't going to fix that. The government is not going to fix it. But somebody's got to get in the ring. Somebody's got to do something about this in our nation. Neil, I agree with you on this, and we did not collaborate as the Lord is our witness. As the Lord is our witness, outside of the love of Jesus Christ being made known, I do not see a solution for our world. I do not. And that means that the church, that's you and me, the children of God, we're the only human solution. We're the ones that God seeks to work through to make the impact. So in other words, what's going to win the day? Passion for God. Compassion for people. And so church, I'm going I'm to come. We're going to end very practically with something really cool in a minute. But for a minute, can I just have permission to step on all of our toes lovingly about just a couple of issues? Would that be okay? Isn't it terrible when someone puts you on the spot like this? The question is this, where do we start, okay? Because, man, you talk about passion for God, compassion for all people. Where do we start? Let me make a couple of suggestions. Number one, children of God, and this isn't just y'all, this is everybody. We need to be very careful with the chatter. We got to be really careful 
with these and this, okay? I'm going I'm to shock everybody in the room right now, okay? I am not two things, okay? There are two things I am not. I am not African-American. I know. I, I'm not an African-American. You know what else I'm not? I'm not in law enforcement. I'm not a police officer, okay? There's your second shark, uh, 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 shocker. Here's the point. I can read what's going on, okay? I can watch what's going on, but the truth of it is I have very little personal idea what folks have been through. I, I don't know what another group of people that I am not a part of, I cannot say, you know what, I know just how you feel. I don't. I don't really have that much of a clue. I don't have a clue what they have been through. I don't have a clue on what they are going through. Therefore, it's a pretty good idea right now for me not to get on Facebook and side up with the group and then go ahead and say how they ought to feel, how they ought to react. Here's what I think the solution is for all of this. And what I'm saying to all of us in this very quiet moment is this. Talk right now is really, really cheap. There are so many angry voices in the wind right now. Reckless chatter is not helping. And just think about that. If my voice does not call for solution, if my voice does not point toward the God who is love, it's probably good for me to keep it to myself for now until I get a clue. Here's a second suggestion. I would also caution us in the church to be very careful, maybe even reconsider some of our causes, okay? Um, the evangelical church loves a cause, man. We love causes. Man, we will sign up for stuff like fast and listen, as fast as you can believe. I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to fight for that. I'm going to fight for the other thing. And I'm going to tell you, some of our causes, they are good. Some of our causes are noble. But I'm telling you one thing I see with a whole lot of Christian causes, a lot of them use fear to motivate people. Something wrong with that. They use militancy to get us to come forward into action. You know what that is? That's just more nails raking down the chalkboard. I'm going to say this. It's a bold statement. I'm going to stand by it, okay? It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to be known for what it is for and not what it's against. What are we for? What are we about? That's what they need. We need what I preached about six months ago. We need a fresh baptism of the love of God. The, folks, we need to be saturated. I'm talking waterfall, torrentially. Uh, just, Lord, pour on us the love of God so that we can extend the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God, the forgiveness of God. And you know what the love of God will help us do? The, help of God, uh, the love of God will help us then not to debate, but to have conversations. It'll cause us to rise up and live a life of serving a broken world. Some of y'all know that Tom Skinner is one of my favorite preachers. Man, I was like, before I even got saved, I read Tom Skinner's book, Black and Free, and it undid me. 
I think it drew me to Jesus more than anything else. But he's got this one quote. I've used it before, and I will, I'm going to use it now, and I will use it again, okay? So you're warned. But his quote is this. He says, only at the cross of Jesus Christ can a black man and a white man come together. I would extend that today. Only at the cross of Jesus Christ can liberals and conservatives come together. Only at the cross of Jesus Christ can law enforcement and those they serve come together. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the love of God. And so for us, what I'm saying in the wake of all these headlines is we got a job to do. And here's what our job is. Our job is to be the Easter people, right? It is our job to be resurrection people, a people of resurrection in a world that is filled with darkness, a world that's filled with a whole lot of fear. You know, Bono had a, had a great quote this week. Well, maybe it wasn't this week. I saw it this week. He said this. He said, love is bigger than anything that stands in its way. Wow. Love is bigger than anything that stands, up, stands in its way. And I'll tell you this. The love of God, when it comes to the love of God, our world is aching for the love of God. Our world is crying out for the love of God. And the love of God through you and me is the only way anything gets any better around here. And I'm going to tell you this, if Gideon can do it with 300, I think, we got, I think we got his number beat today. What could we do in Hampton Roads being lit up with the love of God? All right. We're going to end um, by taking a little practical step forward in the love of God, all right? Um, I promise I'm not going to embarrass or put anybody on the spot other than what I ask you to do. If you are here today, we just want to take a practical love step as the church. What can we do? Here's one thing we can do. If you are in law enforcement or you are an emergency responder, I'd like you to stand up. And I promise I'm going to be so good to you right now. You, you're going, you're going to be, you, you'll be fine. If you're in law enforcement or you're an emergency responder, please stand up. Okay? All right. Yeah, I see you guys. Good. I want y'all to feel that love, all right? Feel the love. And we're going to point what we're getting ready to do across the street to the police station right over there in the fire department, which is right over here, okay? I just want to pray for you guys, all right? I just want to pray for you. Join me, folks. Father, we thank you. We thank you for these folks. God, today they have, uh, they have given of themselves, Lord. They, they choose to put themselves literally in the firing line. God, they are answering a call from you, and I tell you, Lord, I cannot bear to think of the United States of America without these men and women in place. Lord, they are a gift. They're a treasure. God, we bless them today in Jesus' name, and I pray for their protection. I pray for their protection as they are on the streets. Lord, as some of them have to make split-second decisions as time in, 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 in some moments, I pray for real wisdom for them. That, Lord, they would even have that ability to see things in slow motion and know just what to do. But, Lord, give them wisdom. And, Father, I ask that you would crown them today with passion and compassion for those they serve. Lord, bless them, fill them, remind them Remind them that they are loved and they are valued. They are needed. And they're being prayed for by a whole lot of people that love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Yes, sir.
Okay, we still got three more groups of people that need to stand up here. If you would consider yourselves a minority, I'd like to ask you to stand up, and I promise you, this is going to be tender papa time here. If you, if you would consider yourself a minority, please stand up. Yes, ma'am. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters. And God, that's who they are. Lord, I, when I had a, a, someone I knew this week made a statement and just said that it is time, it's time for us to all be on level ground. Father, I pray that in Jesus' name, I lift up my brothers and sisters who are standing in this moment. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you, Lord, that they represent a truth for every one of us in this room, that America is full of immigrants. We all came from somewhere else. And just because some of us may have been here a little longer or some of us grew up in a certain way, Father God, that there, there is nobody <clears throat> who is above anyone else in your eyes. So, Father, I pray courage and I pray comfort for my brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask that you would fill them with the perfect love of God that chases away all fear. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen, that you would bring great peace. And I just thank you for the light that every one of these represents in Jesus' name. I thank you for the love that is, that is in every one of these hearts. And God, I pray for KPC that we would be one family, one body, that we would truly be brothers and sisters. Lord, that we would model, that we would model the love of God so, so truly here that it is a witness to the world. So I thank you, I praise you, and I bless you for these in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> We're last, but we have one more group before we pray for ourselves. Mr. Soto's, would y'all please come up here? Soto one and Soto two. Papa, Papa and son Soto. Jacob and Walt, y'all come on up here. <clears throat> All right, come on up. Um, here's what's going on with Walt and Jacob. In, uh, see, the 26th and nine days, they go into the hospital together, if you don't know. Um, Walt is, uh, is living with a kidney that will not, uh, it will not serve him much longer. And his son Jacob is giving him one of his kidneys. So... Yeah... so cool about you guys? You're in law enforcement, and you guys are both minorities. That makes us even cooler. I mean, you guys, I mean, how did we do this, right? Well, the, these guys demonstrate for us, too, a very beautiful reality that what we're talking about today, the love of God, it, it really is about giving. It's about laying down our lives for one another. And so, I just want to pray for you guys together. I'm going to get in the middle of you. I will not separate you. And um, I, I, we just want to lift you up. Will you guys extend a hand toward these two? Father, today we, we are talking about, um, we've been talking about sacrificial love, Lord, uh, going the extra mile, um, living for you when, when the world doesn't want to hear it, Lord, when everything is stacked against us. And 
Here we have in the most practical way, sacrificial love. And I, I prayed this over these guys this week, but um, in, in the natural world, what we, we see with fathers and sons is we end up seeing a lot of the father in the son. And here's a case where the, fa- where the son is going to give of himself and will be present in, in the father. And it's just a beautiful thing, Lord God. And so right now, Jacob, I, I just want to, by faith, I want to call your kidneys holy in Jesus' name. We, we set them apart for holy use. We call them sacred. And in Jesus' name, Lord God, I thank you that the one kidney this man is going to be left with is going to be more than enough to take care of this man and propel him to be the husband, the believer, (laughs) the minister for God. Yes, he is, Lord. That's right. That's a prophetic. Hold on to that one, okay? But Lord, this man's being called into ministry. And I thank you that this body will, Jacob, this body is going to serve you Um, for some pretty great things coming ahead of you. And you just receive that in Jesus' name. Walt, we call this body holy in Jesus' name. These kidneys have not served you well, but I thank you that that a fresh kidney is coming your way. And Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this man's health. Lord, in advance, we call Walt a healed whole man. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses him, even prepares him now for surgery. And I thank you, Lord God, as you're working on these two other organs, that there are two other organs. There are two organs that are going to benefit from this much greatly, and that's both of these hearts. In Jesus' name, receive what the Spirit of God will do for both of you in these days. It's going to be something. I'm telling you that in Jesus' name. You're going to come back to me, and you're going to tell me that. You're going to tell us that, this family, in Jesus' name. We bless you guys in Jesus' name. And we just commit you to the great physician right now. We call you blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. That's good. Come on. Come on. My my eight-year-old, here's what he calls this. He calls this a hug group, okay? So that's a hug group. There you go. All right. While you're standing, let me pray for us. Let me pray for all of us. You guys, y'all can hang up here if you want to. Lord, in Jesus' name, we do what I did together at the beginning of this this service. Lord God, we love you. We are all people who have called on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And yet, Lord, all of us have picked up baggage from this world. And so right now, we would take our prejudices, our judgments, those things that we are so sure about, and we lay everything on the altar of God. Father, we ask that that in us you would bring love where there is fear, that you would bring strength where there is weakness, Lord, that you would bring wisdom where there is ignorance. God, that you would cause KPC to just rise up in Jesus' name and be so beautiful for for you. Lord, I pray that when people see us coming, they would know that Jesus is on the way. So, Lord, help us to do that, to live that, to be that. Make us a people of passion for you and a people of compassion for the world we live in. I thank you that Paul and Barnabas, they're not there as historical figures. They're they're there as examples. And so we say yes. We say yes, and we say thank you for their legacy lived out in us. In Jesus' name, amen.